0: As you know, I am not Pastor Shane. Pastor Shane is uh, actually seeing his brother preach this morning and went to go visit his church, Ryan's uh, church, which is really cool. And so I get to fill in for him. Um, it is so good to be with you here this morning. I have to start off by saying how blessed. I feel by this congregation. Haley and I both have just felt an an enormous sense of gratitude for you um, as we've come into this new role as kind of like the Sunday morning service leader and part of that being um, working with the music team as well. We have felt so much encouragement and so much just spurring on by you guys and our hearts just burst with joy whenever that happens and whenever we hear you sing there are sometimes on a Sunday morning when we come in for for rehearsal at 8: 30 a.m and I don't know what's going on and I'm thinking in my mind and sometimes saying out loud what is happening this morning and then all of a sudden the first song hits your voices just overwhelm us and it is a beautiful, beautiful thing and I firmly firmly believe that God's heart is pleased when you leverage your voice for his praise and so I'm just so so grateful for you guys this morning. I'm also grateful for uh, my mom, Nancy, and my in-laws, Kevin and Lori Hewitt, as they have just been such an encouragement to Haley and I throughout this whole process. They have really championed us from the beginning, and that goes for the elders and Shane and Mary as well, who have given of their time and energy to just support us in this role and to spur us on. So we just feel a special sense of gratitude this year around Thanksgiving. So before we start, let's just pray and, and start by expressing our gratitude to God for what He's doing Father, we come to you this morning, and we acknowledge that the only reason we can come to you is Jesus, and so we thank you first and foremost for him. Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts what is true this morning, and that you would hear our hearts as well, and that our hearts would be changed, and that that would lead to changed thoughts, and changed actions, and changed lives, and not just the lives of the people in this building, but the lives outside of it as well pray that you would lead, that you would guide, that your word would be spoken and that it would be heard. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So here here at ALCF, we exist to show our gratitude to Christ for what he has done for us. And Shane did an amazing job in the True Worship series a couple of months ago talking about uh, what it means to truly worship God. And he gave us this definition. Loving something supremely with your heart, trusting something supremely with your mind, and obeying something supremely with your actions. And so when we worship God that way, we are really expressing our gratitude to him. And when you live out that definition... Uh, by the things you do, the things you say, and the things you think, that's living a lifestyle of worship. And that's really what Shane was talking about, was a lifestyle of worship. I believe there's this other thing that the Bible speaks very heavily about, and it's called the act of worship. And this refers to the activities that God has set apart for us as followers of Christ to gather on a Sunday morning or whenever you gather. And this talks about corporate prayer, scripture reading, communion, singing, and preaching, among some other things. But those are the big ones that the Bible talks about. And so we honed in quite a bit in that series on the lifestyle of worship. And Shane uh, used about one Sunday to talk about the importance of Sundays, of the act of worship, of gathering. But I want to bring it down even more specifically onto a micro level of our participation in the Sunday morning service. And I want to hone in even further on singing and praising God. We want to express our gratitude to God through song just as we want to through our other actions that we take. And I have some reasons for this and some thoughts for this. I believe very firmly that our thoughts about God during a worship service reflects and hopefully informs our thoughts about Him throughout the week. I also believe that the emotions we feel toward God in a worship service reflects and hopefully bleeds into the emotions that we feel toward God throughout the week. I believe the openness and vulnerability that we exhibit with our bodies when we raise our hands or when we bow down in a worship service reflects and should inform the openness that we have with others throughout the week. I believe the words that we sing with our mouths in a worship service should reflect and inform the words we use throughout the week to bless others. I believe the love that we bring to the feet of God in a worship service should be the love that we share with others throughout the week. I believe the actions and the commitments that we partake in and commit to in a worship service should then inform the actions and the follow-through that we carry, carry on with throughout the week. And I believe that the connection that we feel with God and each other should reflect and hopefully inform the connection that we strive for throughout the week. In other words, our lives must be connected if we are to live lives of worship, not just Sundays of worship. And so from this, just know from this point on, when I talk about uh, worship or singing or praising God, for me, it's not just about the praise that we're bringing to God in song. Although that is my primary concern, and that is a huge passion of mine. And that's the focus of today. But I'll tell you what honors God even more, is when we live lives of connected worship. When the words that we sing become the words that we believe in the things that we do. And when the words that we believe in the things that we do become the words that we sing. So with that as the foundation, the main thing I want to focus on this morning, and I have a PowerPoint due to popular request and or complaint from some people last time. The main thing I want to focus on is we always have a reason to sing. When we gather on Sunday mornings, therefore, we always have gratitude to express, which is our purpose as a church. And I want us as a congregation, when we sing, to know what we're doing and why we're doing it, because it's so much more than just words that come from our mouths. And in order to do this, I want to take us back to an Old Testament story, to the story of Exodus. So if you want to turn, or, or it's going to be on the screen as well, to Exodus 15. We're going to be looking at a lot of scripture today, uh, but we're going to start with this passage. I'll give you a few points we'll hone in on, and then we'll actually go back a little bit and talk about some of the context uh, of this passage. So, First, Exodus 15, this is the chapter where the Israelites sing a song of praise to God after the, they had just been rescued from the Egyptians at the Red Sea. So the Egyptians had enslaved Israel for about 430 years, and after a series of plagues and pleading, Pharaoh and the Egyptians let the Israelites go. So the Israelites go out of Egypt, and then Pharaoh regrets his decision. And meets the Israelites at the Red Sea, and then the, the Egyptians are defeated, which we'll read some more about later on. But, but check this out in Exodus 15, 1-19. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath. It consumed them like stubble. And with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The floods stood upright like a heap. The depths congealed at the heart, in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue you. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them, they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. The people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed, the mighty men of Moab. Trembling will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them. By the greatness of your arm, they will be as still as a stone. Till your people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. Talk about a wordy song, but that's an awesome one, right? Verse 19, For the horses of Pharaoh went with his chariots and his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. Here's what I want to focus on this morning from this passage. Number one is we show our gratitude to God when we praise him for who he is. Number two, we show our gratitude to God when we praise him for what he's done. Number three, we show our gratitude to God when we praise him for what he will do. And Number four is we show our gratitude to God when we remember who he is, what he's done, what he will do, and praise him for it. So number one is we show our gratitude to God when we praise him for who he is. The song in this passage is super, super clear that God is to be praised for his character and who he is at his core. So in this song, the Israelites sing to the Lord about how he is their strength, he is their song, he is their salvation, a man of war, glorious in power. They speak of the greatness of his excellence, they speak of his wrath, how glorious in in holiness he is, he's merciful, he's eternal. But I want to hone in on verse 3. It says, the Lord is his name. So in the, they're in the middle of this song, and the Israelites sing out, the Lord is his name. I thought that was kind of odd the first time that I had um, read that, and the first time I had went over that. And then I started digging into it a little bit. And something important to understand is that while the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt for the, that 430 years, There are people, uh, and and there are people that, these are the people that when Moses got kicked out and met God at the burning bush um, and told, God told Moses to go back, he said, who should I tell them sent me? And this is what God said to Moses, tell them I am sent you, Yahweh, which is God's personal name, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Why is that so important? Because the Israelites would have known that name. There were plenty of other gods that Moses could have come to the Israelites and said, this God sent me or this God sent me, and their response would have been, yeah, so what? But when they heard, I am Yahweh, that was a God that they could follow. That was the God that promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and their descendants that the Israelites would be great and that they would be given a promised land. And they were in the midst of Egypt at the time. So these people needed a promised land. And so when Moses speaks that name, 430 years of hopelessness is met with a ray of hope and a foreshadow of freedom just at his name alone. And as they stand in victory over their oppressors on the other side of the Red Sea, they proclaim, the Lord is his name. Right? They're not just saying some random God rescued us. They're proclaiming the faithfulness of God by saying his name. The one who had promised greater things has delivered on his word and has brought us salvation. So God's faithfulness is amplified here. His character is on display. And I believe very strongly And I know you've heard me say this before, but I believe very strongly that worship always begins with who God is. I also believe this is very important to God that we understand this. In Exodus 14, 1 through 9, we're not going to read the whole passage, but this is right before the Red Sea story. And as the Israelites have exited out of Egypt, God tells Moses to have Israel camp out by the Red Sea. And he actually says he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart so that Pharaoh will pursue them. Think about this for a minute. I just rescued my people from Israel. Then I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart and have Pharaoh pursue them now with his army. Listen to what God says next. This is the reason. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. So God wants his enemies and the Israelites' enemies even to know that, that he is the Lord. God is about to let them know who he is. In Psalm 106:8, he said, referring to the Israelites, yet he saved them for his namesake that he might make known his mighty power. It is important that we show gratitude and praise and sing to God for who he is. And the more that you know who God is, the more you can understand what he's done. And when we only praise and sing to God for what he's done for us, that still has its roots in us. Thank you for doing this for me, for me, for me, but God is glorious and worthy to be praised just because he's God, simply because of who he is. If he never did a thing for any of us, he would still be eternally worthy of every ounce of praise to ever be obtained. God is that big of a deal. He is that amazing. And so we actually have songs that we sing that would be considered God-centered songs and person-centered songs. And now even the person-centered songs still honor God because They're still talking about how God has rescued us and what he's done for us. But they're more about, again, what he's done for us. So, Who You Say I Am. I know you guys love that song, ALCF. It's a beautiful song. That's kind of like a person-centered song. Whereas Forever, like we sang earlier, is more of a God-centered song. It's really focused on God and, and his character, not so much what he's done for us. Both are important and essential. But I'm telling you this right now. If for some reason we only ever had to sing one of those types, it would be the God-centered ones. We need to ultimately worship the giver over the gifts. The gifts are there simply to point us to the giver. Having said that, God wants us to praise him for the gifts. So number two is we show our gratitude to God when we praise him for what he's done. I don't have time to go over all the things addressed in this song, but it's pretty much summed up in verse 1, and then actually verse 21, where Miriam, Aaron's sister, um, Runs out and gets all the women to come out with her with, with tambourines, um, and they sing this in Exodus 15:21. Sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider He has thrown into the sea. It even rhymes, at least in English. Uh, you see, the Israelites were singing and praising, uh, or s- singing to God and praising Him for what He had done, which had directly affected them. He rescued them from and destroyed them, uh, or destroyed their enemies, the Egyptians. And something that I find fascinating is that in chapter 13, which is even a little further back, and we don't have time to read it, but God actually took the Israelites away from a battle, which I guarantee he could have won. So the, the, the Israelites come out of Egypt, and here's kind of like the two options. We either go this way and we run into the Philistines, and we have to fight, or we go this way and we run into the Red Sea. And so God actually led them away from the Philistines. Again, I guarantee he could have won that battle, foreshadow ahead, David and Goliath, Right? He already won the battle against the Philistines in the future, so I guarantee God could, that could, he could have led them to win this battle. And he mentioned at the time that he didn't want the Israelites to be afraid and return to Egypt, but they got afraid at the Red Sea anyways and wanted to turn back, and God would have known that. So here's the cool thing about the victory being at the Red Sea as opposed to being against the, the Philistines. The victory at the Red Sea would have been at the hand of God and God alone so that no man could brag about it. Think about it. If the victory would have been against the Philistines, that's a battle that humans fight. And although we know that God still would have enabled them to fight it, when the Israelites are standing at the Red Sea, they are completely powerless. Only God has authority over the water and the waves and the Red Sea. And so I believe that God led them to the Red Sea instead of to the Philistines to receive great glory and to show his power and to receive praise from his people for what he had done and to show that their oppressors would be defeated once for all. In fact, before this, God even um, would often say that he would deliver the Israelites with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. And along with that, if God would have led the Israelites to the Philistine route, the Egyptians wouldn't have necessarily been defeated. Think about this for a minute. It is one thing to be delivered from oppression, and it is a whole other thing to be delivered from your oppressor of 430 years by whom you experienced being mistreated, afflicted, overworked, tired, and enslaved. But at the Red Sea, the Israelites looked down on their oppressors, and they tasted victory, final victory over their oppressors. They felt it, they saw it, they smelled it. Imagine standing there being the Israelites looking at the sight and the sigh of relief that must have come over them. The Red Sea was not so much about the Red Sea. The Red Sea was still about Egypt. God wanted complete and total deliverance and freedom for his people. He wanted to release his people from the, from the slavery to fear that they would have had the rest of their lives if the Egyptians were still alive. Fear that would they, they would have come back and taken them back into captivity. But God wanted to release them from that, and so he leads them to the Red Sea. And talk about a strong hand. God actually had the Israelites plunder the Egyptians and take their gold and their silver on the way out of Egypt. That's awesome. That's awesome. God is amazing. I I, I just love that. And when God rescues his people, he does it right. So this type of stuff, this is what the Israelites were singing about. Israel doubted that God would follow through with his promise at the Red Sea, but God followed through. Number three, we show our gratitude to God when we praise him for what he will do. In verses 14 to 18, the song takes a turn and starts to speak over the future because of what they just saw in the recent past. And I want to hone in on verses 17 to 18. It says, You will bring them in and plant them in the mountains of your inheritance. In the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which which your hands have established, the Lord shall reign forever and ever. So the song changes from you have done this to you will do this. They're speaking of God's promise to bring them into the promised land that he prepared for them and that he said he would give to them years ago. And I'm not sure what you may believe about prophecy in modern day, and I'm not even really sure what I believe about it, but I will tell you one thing that I have no problem prophesying over, and that is God's promises. I have no problem standing here this morning and prophesying that God will be faithful to you, abundant life. He will be faithful to this congregation. And the issue when things start to go wrong is not a lack of God's faithfulness. The issue is our lack of our understanding of God's faithfulness and what that looks like. So here we have the Israelites singing and prophesying over God's future faithfulness because of his past faithfulness. We show our gratitude to God when we praise him for what he will do. Number four, we show our gratitude to God when we remember who he is, what he's done, what he will do, and praise him for it. And this may seem a little repetitive, but I promise it's not because we need to hone in on the word remember. So after this story As the Israelites go into the wilderness, they face all types of difficulties and trials. And when they're tempted to despair and to not believe in God, God would often say to Moses and the Israelites over and over and over again, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Sometimes you'd even add out of slavery to remind them of that. So when God says this, he's reminding them when they're beginning to lose heart or to feel tempted of who he is, the Lord your God, and what he's done brought you out of the land of Egypt. God even establishes an annual feast for the Israelites called the Feast of Booths, in which they are completely, uh, the only thing they're supposed to do at this feast is to eat, but then is also to remember that God brought them out of the land of Egypt. So God establishes that, that annual feast. Unfortunately, the Israelites had a serious issue with remembering, and they, caught, they found themselves caught up in this vicious cycle of remembering for a minute and then forgetting, remembering for a minute and then forgetting. And check out Psalm 106, 6 through 7. We're going to actually jump back and forth a little bit here between Psalm 106 and Exodus. And it might be a little confusing, but these passages, they actually kind of line up because this is somebody else talking about this story of Exodus. So follow along here. Exodus, or, or Psalm 106, 6 through 7 says, We have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember the multitude of your mercies, but rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. And you might be wondering what this is talking about, the Israelites rebelling at the sea. We're going to go back to Exodus 14, 10 through 12. It says, and when Pharaoh drew near, so Pharaoh's coming, the, it, the children of Israel lifted their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For, listen this, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. So they rebelled because of their unfaithfulness. They were not believing God. They were also probably pretty comfortable in Egypt. It's been 430 years, and which is which is sad, but they probably wouldn't have this generation wouldn't have known any different. Nevertheless, there was unbelief in their hearts. They didn't believe God. Back to Psalm 106, 8 through 11. Nevertheless, God saved them for his name's sake. So God was faithful regardless of their faithlessness, that he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it dried up. So he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. He saved them from the hand of, of him who hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. So God works through Moses and literally splits the Red Sea into two walls and has the Israelites walk through on dry ground. God actually dried up the ground for them. I don't know if you've ever walked in the ocean before, but it'd probably be a little difficult to get like a million people across a wet ocean floor or a wet sea floor with, with carriages and all their silver and gold they're carrying, right, from the Egyptians. So God actually dried the ground as well. And at the end of Exodus 14, uh, verses 30 to 31 says, So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. And and Psalm 106.12 essentially just sums up these verses by saying, Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. They believed his words. They sang his praise. And that's the moment they break out into this song, the song that we read at the beginning. The Israelites' issue, though, wasn't that they didn't see what God had done or who he was. The Israelites' issue was that they forgot what God had done and who he was. Psalm continues and says, They soon forgot his works. Right after the Red Sea story, if you literally you want to go on in your Bibles, it has a story about um, the Israelites complaining and grumbling because they don't believe that God is going to provide for them right after the Red Sea. Verse 20 in Psalm 106 says, They changed the glory of God into the image of an ox that eats grass. This is talking about the golden calf at Mount Sinai. They forgot, listen to this, they forgot God their Savior who had done great things in Egypt. Wondrous works in the land of Ham, awesome things by the Red Sea. They forgot who God was, their Savior, and they forgot what he had done. Great things in Egypt and awesome things by the Red Sea. You see, God's heart is grieved when we forget who he is and what he's done. And if we forget this, how will we ever remember and believe that God's going to be faithful to us in the future if we don't remember his faithfulness in the past? Our past, whatever it may look like, for us as followers of Christ, our past is a compilation of God's faithfulness toward us that continues to grow every single day. And when we don't take the time to look at it, we forget, and that's how we start to stray away and worship idols. If God is greatly hurt when we forget, then surely he is greatly glorified when we remember, and so we need to remember. And regardless of whether we remember or whether we forget, the beauty of this all comes in Psalm 106, verse 23. Therefore, this is when God, uh, Moses had come down from the mountain and saw the Israelites. They were, they were worshiping another God. Therefore, he said, God said that he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he destroy them. This is... Is where Jesus comes in. There stands one in our place. Jesus is our Moses. The Lord God is our gracious heavenly Father. We are the Israelites, and you might think, well, if I was one of them and I saw what they saw, I would break out in song too. I might even go dancing in the tambourines with all the with all the ladies. Oh, sorry, yeah, just got all the single ladies. Yeah, going through my mind. I don't know if they were single. But that that might be your thoughts. But here's the thing, though. (laughs) You might tell yourself, I would never forget God or what he had done. If you saw what happened at the Red Sea, I would never forget that. Except listen to this. Egypt and the Red Sea and the Egyptians are a minuscule comparison to what we have been rescued from. When you compare those to sin, Satan, and spiritual death. Their deliverance, the Israelites' deliverance, was physical and somewhat temporary. Ours is spiritual and eternal. And if the Israelites came across that sea and turned around and looked at their oppressors dead and praised God because of it, we can turn around and look at Satan and realize that God has crushed him through Jesus' death and resurrection, and we can praise God because of it. You see, we always have a reason to sing. Every Sunday morning we come, we always have reason to sing, and worship is always a response to who God is and what he's done, is doing, and is going to do. When I first started reading Exodus 15, which is the song the Israelites sang, it probably felt a little weird to you, and was probably a little hard to understand the power of the song, because we hadn't yet gone over the context. I know it's kind of weird for me to start off with it, but we hadn't yet gone over, why are the Israelites singing this song? And sometimes I feel like, and, and I'm guilty of this, but sometimes I feel like that's how we approach singing on Sunday mornings, except instead of then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song, it's then Abundant Life sang these songs. There's a then for for a reason in that passage. The then is everything that had just come before, everything that they had just seen, God's deliverance. Abundant life, do we have a then? Absolutely, we have a then. The cross and the empty grave is our then. So I would encourage you to take time every Sunday morning as we gather to look back and reflect on this. And when you sing the words of the song, sing with gratitude for the week behind you, and expectancy for the week ahead. And prophesy God's faithfulness over the week ahead of you because of the week behind you and his faithfulness to you there that the Lord who rescued you from slavery can and will do again what only he can do. And something that's really important to remember, and Shane has mentioned this a long time ago, and it always stuck with me, unexpressed gratitude comes across as ingratitude. Unexpressed gratitude comes across as ingratitude. So even if you have good intentions but don't say it, that's not enough. God wants to hear it. We remember it and then we express it. So Abundant Life, I would ask you this morning, what about Jesus and who he is do you need to remember? What about Jesus and who he is do you need to remember? What has he done for you? And what can you be assured of that he is going to do for you because of what he's done in the past? And then lastly, I would ask you, what is your Egypt? What is the Egypt that Jesus has rescued you from? What used to have you enslaved? Is it pride? Is it complacency? Is it fear? Is it selfishness, lust, addiction? Mine is. I know I've shared this before with the congregation about my battle with with pornography that I had faced in the past. And you know what? I was standing a couple of months ago, or a month ago, at a Jesus Culture concert singing the words, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I was a prisoner, and now I'm not. And I realized in that moment that by the grace of God, the amazing grace of God, I had experienced about two years of sobriety from that addiction. And my heart was overwhelmed with deep sorrow because I realized that I had forgotten what God had done. I'd forgotten who God was. And in that moment, as I was singing, as the Israelites did, I looked at my past oppressor, and that was the first time its death in my life had really become real to me, just as it did for the Israelites when they saw their oppressors. And then that sorrow turned into gratitude when I remembered that. So I would ask you as well, ALCF, what is your Egypt? And then what I want you to do is I want you to hear Jesus speaking over you I am the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior, who brought you out of fill-in-your-Egypt, who rescued you from fill-in-your-Egypt, who saved you from fill-in-your-Egypt. God not only desires for you to look back and remember, he commands it. And for each of us who are followers of Christ, we look back to the cross and we look back to the resurrection because that's ultimately our redemption, our exodus, our Red Sea. That's where our Egyptians were slain. That he who did not spare his only son, how will he not graciously with him also give us all things? He will. And when we continually forget, just like the Israelites did, God is waiting there for us. In Psalm 106, 44 through 45, this is a few verses later. It's because the Israelites had rebelled about 45 times at this point. Listen to God's words. Nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry. And for their sake, he remembered his covenant, and relented according to the multitude of his mercies. God will always remember his covenant. He will never forget you like we so often forget him. God is faithful, and we know this by looking back and remembering. So I want everyone to take out the, the cards. There should be some either in front of you in the, the um, seat pocket, or if you're in the front row, maybe behind you. It says... I am the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior, who brought you out of. And I want you to write down on paper your Egypt. I want you to write in that blank, what is your Egypt? What is that thing that used to have you enslaved? It could be anything. There's no rules to this. I'm not going to look at them. You don't have to show them to anybody unless you want to. What is your Egypt? And I want you to know that just because we left Egypt doesn't mean Egypt left us. If there are still areas that you feel enslaved to, God desires your full freedom. And I'm telling you right now, the more we remember, the more freedom we will experience as Egypt or our sin continues to slowly die within us, the more that we remember God and His faithfulness. And for those of you who maybe feel like you've never left Egypt, maybe you're still in bondage and enslaved to sin and to Satan. This could be the day that the Lord leads you out with a strong hand because this story actually starts with you. This story started in Egypt. It didn't start at the Red Sea. Listen to Exodus 2, 23 through 24. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant. Again, God remembering his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God looked upon the children of Israel, and he acknowledged them. So if you're still in Egypt, I invite you to cry out to God and to talk to him. And if you do that with a sincere and genuine heart, he will hear you. And for us, on this side of the cross, Jesus is the one that, that we follow to get to God. He's the one we need to make a decision to follow in order to be led out of our Egypt of sin. Jesus is our Moses. I invite you to call on him or even to come to talk to me or one of the elders afterward if if that is you. Maybe some of you feel like you're out of Egypt and you made a decision to follow Jesus with your life and you've taken a step out in faith and you've run into some hard times or some difficult questions and fear and and doubt is taking over and it's hard to think of your Egypt because it feels so close to you. Maybe some of you wrote something down on your card just now that you not feel uncomfortable even looking at in writing. That's probably an indicator that you might not be as free from it as, as you thought you were or from the shame of it. Maybe you find yourself standing at the Red Sea wondering what's going to happen next. And if either of those is you, listen to the words that I believe Jesus is speaking over you this morning. It's the same words that Moses spoke over the Israelites when they fell into fear at the Red Sea. Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, listen to this, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Some versions say you need only to be still. I'm going to pray, and as I do, I'd like the music team to come on back up And we are going to sing a couple songs of gratitude to Christ as we remember who he is, what he's done, what he is doing, what he's going to do, and as we simply just remember. And I I want you to hold that card as you sing if you filled one out. You can look at it if you want. You can lift it as you lift your hands. You can just hold it. But remember, whatever you wrote down, and use that, use that statement on the card where it talks about the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior, and then your Egypt. Use that as your reason to sing and express gratitude to Christ this morning. Let's pray. Father, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We were prisoners, but now we're not. And we have the best reason to sing in, in the world. There's no reason for us not to sing. There's no reason for us not to express gratitude. We have looked at and stared at our oppressor, Satan, dead in front of us at the empty grave of Jesus. And we thank you so much that we have the opportunity to praise you for that. And so Lord, we pray that your heart would be honored, that that you would be gratified in us, that you would be glorified in us. And Lord, we pray that as we we prophesy over your future faithfulness because of your past faithfulness, that you would remind us again and again and again that we are no longer slaves. We are your children. Remind us of the truth of the gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray.